It's week two. We have literally doubled our sample size. All of our charts are twice as actionable. Our takeaways are twice as accurate. This is Stat Chasing. <laughs> oh my God, I'm so sorry. Roll the intro. Pat Fryer Helmo. <laughs> This is why I'm hot. Anita Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. <laughs> Alpha play chase. <laughs> are you kidding me? Are you sorry? You can't handle the heat. It looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> Just like NFL offenses in week one are... Uh, you were we, too we quick! Can- yeah, we we needed I was, a little I was, bit of I was, reps. I was sharing that we were going live everywhere, and then as soon as I finish, I'm like, "Oh shit, I I gotta do that. I gotta roll the clip." <laughs> well, I just saw we're live, and I was like, "All right, I, I guess we're going." Um, but hey, welcome to week two, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Um, we've got some real fun charts here that we'll be taking you through uh, this week. We're gonna try not to go for a full two and a half uh, push in three hours. I think we're. The goal is a tight 90. Um, so we've we've done our homework. We've prepped up. Uh, Drico and I are ready to take you through all of these charts, pointing out the most relevant pieces of data uh, and trying to give you some actual takeaways for your leagues. Uh, and without further ado, let's uh, let's go ahead let's, and dive into those charts. Yeah, let's uh, let's pre- oh and present. There we go. Um. So yeah, at just to, just to intro everybody to this at uh, quarterback chart that we're talking about here, um, this is it, it scales adjusted yards per attempt, which uh, it's like yards per attempt throwing, and but it rewards uh, touchdowns and it punishes interceptions, and and it, actually some it, it does that roughly on the uh, on the scale of um, I believe uh, win probability. It tries to like. It tries to scale that to, to win probability um, per attempt. And then on, on the other access, we have a touchdown rate. And so really you've got a, on, on the right-hand side, you've got the, the quarterbacks who've been thrown really, really efficiently. And then we also have a, on, on the vertical axis a touchdown rate. And so you can see sort of quarterbacks who have either um, – They've thrown for lots of touchdowns and, and possibly more touchdowns than, than their yardage uh, sort of like uh, warrants. And then you have uh, quarterbacks who've thrown efficiently and perhaps thrown less uh, touchdowns than, uh, than than you would expect given their yardage toes. And, and, and so those quarterbacks, I guess, uh, possible, possible upward regression uh, candidates. Yeah, uh, good good summary here. I I just had a, a thought. I really hadn't compared these two stats before. Looked at how uh, they're calculated in comparison. But for adjusted yards per attempt, that's going to be like directionally the same as EPA, right? Like something that's a positive yeah. adjusted yards per attempt play is going to be a positive EPA. Play. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you're right. I, I said win probability. It, it's EPA, and it does it roughly, uh, roughly with the the same uh, weighting. Like obviously, it can't do everything because it's a more straightforward adjustment than uh, EPA, which knows where they are on the field. But it, it, it's sort of trying to translate EPA per attempt into a yardage number to, to kind of make it more e- easier to comprehend, easy, more intuitive. Okay. 
Good, good explanation there. Um, when I when I first put this chart together, there were a couple guys that stood out to me. Um, I'm going to start with guys that are popping really well on the chart where they, they have to come back down to earth, right? And the first one that's like clear as day is Jordan Love. I mean, he's been super efficient. He's thrown three touchdowns each game, um, but he is not throwing enough yards or enough pass attempts for this to be sustainable at all. Um, right. They've, they've just been really efficient. Um, so I don't think this, you know, nearly 12%, I think it's like 11.5% touchdown rate is going to stick for Jordan Love. That being said, when you see these guys with this crazy efficiency, um, this is something I, I would say that Jordan Love is going to finish the season very close to Brock Purdy and like what they are for fantasy, right? I think that Brock Purdy comes yeah. up a little bit. I think Jordan Love comes down a little bit and they kind of meet in the middle because um, they both are, are just going to be in offenses that are more efficient than they should be um, just because of, you know, good, good scheming. Um but that was yeah. uh, that was the first one I saw. Did you have any other guys in the good takeaway category that you wanted to touch on, Drico? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, obviously, I think the most obvious one is is your boy uh, C.J. Stroud, where you, you you called. I think you called last week that uh, he's going to win somebody a million maker, and for I think for a rookie to come out in the first two games and to be on the right hand side of the chart, even though the touchdowns aren't there. Has, I, I mean that looks super uh, positive, super bullish. Where um, if he if he's throwing for good yardage, and the touchdown rate is low on, on like sort of like a lowish sample size, and again his first two NFL games that that seems super bullish for CJ both CJ Stroud and, and the receivers in that uh, in that offense. Yeah, I mean CJ Stroud is fourth in the league in total passing yards right now, so. He's he's kind of cooking and they're they're letting him throw. He has 91 attempts. So the Houston is not hiding their rookie quarterback uh, where on the other side of the coin, you have Bryce Young. You can look at him. He uh, he and Danny Dimes kind of swapped positions on where they were on the chart last week. Bryce Young does not look like someone you want to have on any basketball teams. Doesn't look like someone that you want to play in fantasy. You I mean, for the foreseeable future, you don't really want to touch the Carolina offense. It's not going to produce very much. They're they're not letting him do very much, and they just don't look like a terribly productive offense. So that one's a stay away. But really interesting to me how drastically different those two rookies uh, are looking for fantasy, uh, especially because I I think that at the you know during the off season, people might've even flipped that around and said they have higher hopes for Bryce Young than CJ Stroud. I was, um, I, I, I was a little bit more positive on uh, Bryce Young than Stroud. And ma- mainly because I thought uh, Young is, is a bit more of a, a threat as a rusher. And, and, and he has, he has added some points with his legs, but just not, not nearly enough with how uh, anemic uh, he's been. And, and I think, Honestly, at this point, um, them just saying he needs to run a lot to uh, to produce is, is it, it does seem like the only kind of clear cut way for him to be a productive uh, fantasy starter. Uh, guys, I wanted to touch on that moved in the right direction this last week. 
Uh, Geno Smith, I don't think anyone was all terribly concerned after a, a poor week one showing from Geno. He kind of got back on the horse. Um, I played a lot of Geno and GPPs this week, and it, it went pretty well for me. Needed to have him with Lockett, though. Um, other guys that are right next to Geno on the chart uh, that were part of that whole late round quarterback thesis for this offseason in best ball, Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter both showed um, pretty much everything that you wanted to see out of them uh, if you were drafting them in best ball. Sam Howell, I think, was 299 yards passing, which is just, whew, you really you really love to see that. Uh, both Ritter and Howell showed a little with their legs as well. It's like the, week two was, hey, this is why we were drafting these guys late and thought that they were reasonable picks for best ball. So that was super encouraging. The other one that's near them on the chart that to me looks like a potential eruption spot is Lamar Jackson. Um, I want to I want to get ahead of this and say that week three is the Lamar Jackson explosion game. He does, I you know, if you look at Lamar's production profile historically, he does this kind of stuff where he'll just have some okay games. It's not like it was a bad game for him this week by any means, but I, I think that week three against what is on paper, one of the worst defenses in the league in the Colts. And they've played, they've definitely played better than they look on paper. But I think that if the Ravens, um, you know, really play to their full potential, you could get a huge week from Lamar here. And he also, you can see from the size of his data point here that he's still adding a lot with his legs, even though they're not calling designed rushes. Um, and that's honestly, that's what I want because what he's doing when he's scrambling is he's taking plays where otherwise there's not a ton to be had there throwing the ball and he's creating where, you know, a less mobile quarterback might just have to toss it away. Um, you're really, this type of scheme for Lamar can give you the best of both worlds and really maximize his overall production. So Lamar is my, uh, my early flag plant for week three. So um, we're, we're, we're beating uh, Swolecast to the punch. Stack chasing is the first look show, the earliest first look show in the industry for DFS takes. Lamar Jackson for Millie Maker confirmed. The, um, uh, one, one note, sorry, uh, just before we go too much on, one note on uh, Jordan Love, who we touched on earlier. Uh, I, just, I just did the math. Um, if you remove his touchdowns and you just look at straight yards per 10 for Jordan Love, he'd be at a seven. So... Honestly, that still seems, like, positive. Like, definitely, like, he, he's not a bad passer, but clearly not. It doesn't seem like a god-tier, like, eh, you know, he's going to eviscerate the air all-season player. That's that's really good context uh, for the data. And that, that seems consistent with how I feel he's going to end up on the season. Him and Purdy will be right in, right in that same range, you know, bottom, bottom end QB ones on their good weeks. Um, and, you know, serviceable QB twos. Um, the other thing though, with Jordan love, just a, a wart to add to that profile. The attempts are really low. Um, both, both weeks, the attempts are low. Same with Purdy. Yeah. The attempts are 30 low. and 27, which yeah. for fantasy production for, for overall production, it, it, it's not a, it's not great, especially, um, yeah. I, I mean, may, maybe some of that is, is them having a lead, um, but it's still like, it, it, it does feel very 49ers quarterback-esque. Yeah. Um, can you talk me out of Russell Wilson? Because Russ 
has looked pretty productive for fantasy. I, from the bit of rust that I watched, uh, he, he doesn't look fantastic. He's not a world beater, but he still does rust things. You know, that play action shot to Mims or is like, yeah, this is, I mean, Sean Payton's always done a really good job of getting the, the best out of his players and playing to their strengths. That is the Russell Wilson strength. Like let him throw up the moon ball, like deep shot and just absolutely drop it on a guy 50 yards down the field. If you can have Russ do that in a couple spots a week, he's definitely viable for fantasy. Yeah. Um, I, I think definitely viable for fantasy and trying touchdowns. And obviously we're, we're excited about Mims, uh, him having a big day despite only six snaps. And um, one, one uh, Russell Wilson is always a good note on, on, on a caveat of this chart is that um, it's per attempt. So it's it it's not per dropback. So it's sort of like it. this chart rewards uh, quarterbacks who will stand in the pocket and, and throw deep, but then also take sacks. So I, I should note that he uh, he's taken nine sacks this year on uh, let's say 80, 80 dropbacks, um, so that's a that's only a small that 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 probably takes him from like eight eight point one to like closer to like let's say let's call it just over seven, um, so. It, this, this this is always a chart that like makes Russell Wilson look better, so a, a tad better than he is, um. But when when you are targeting um pocket passers, you do want you want guys who throw deep, you want uh, big plays, you want touchdowns, um. So definitely, I think when when you're getting a when you're getting cheap uh, pocket passer pricing for Russell Wilson, you I think you can win in a big way, uh. I think though, um, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We're not. I. I. I wouldn't be uh, high on 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 like expensive Russell Wilson. Like no. when I'm ex- expensive, I'm talking like seventh round. Like that. That. That feels pretty gross. No, I, I think Russ was a great price this whole off season. He yeah. was. He was going late because the the markets have gotten more efficient in best ball over the years. Mm-hmm. But I was. I was actually just today. I was taking some notes for an article I want to write this next off season on stuff that the market still is really stupid at. Um, And one of those things is, did you hurt me last year? If you hurt me last year, sorry, you're just, you're not going to get to an efficient price because I'm still snake bit. Um, So that was one of the things that I noted. Um, Dovetailing off your sacks conversation from Russell Wilson, does that mean that Justin Fields and Deshaun Watson are even worse than they look on this chart? Because both those guys love to take sacks too. Yeah. Um, and anybody who who holds the ball and, and takes sacks, uh, will that uh, will be even will will be worse than this chart sort of indicates. Okay. And um, and I, I mean I I don't think it's like it's not quite fancy relevant, but it is relevant for the receivers that like you think oh I'm getting like one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the league on a per attempt and it's like oh okay well per drop back. It, it, it's maybe a bit closer to average for, for, the, for the, the strong efficiency, guys. One one last one I wanted to point out before we go to the next chart here. Uh, Matt Stafford is being punished for his just he, – he ran poor on touchdowns. Kyron Williams yeah. is just vacuuming up touchdowns these first couple weeks. If Matt Stafford throws a couple touchdowns, he is going to look insane. Um, especially – I mean, this chart – 
one of the i think we might need to add another qb chart uh for volume related stuff but one thing this chart does not pick up is the absolutely absurd amount of volume matt stafford has 93 pass attempts through two games um you know he cj stroud is right behind him with 91 but you know stafford yeah. and stroud are just slinging it um so that's you know if, if you're gonna play a pocket passer a statue quarterback they need to be chucking it and over 45 attempts a game is uh, is what you want from a guy like stafford yeah that uh, that makes sense as well and and i i think i think when you're talking about the pocket passers like they're a, they're a little bit more volatile than uh, than guys who have consistent rushing uh, production, but their their single week uh, ceilings can be really high because if they have a really good week in, 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 as a passer, it's it's going it's, they're going to score points. So when you have those sort of volatile players, you, you definitely yeah uh, you you want the cheap you want the cheap prices with them. You, it, it it gets a little unless you think they're Mahomes, it gets real. I think it gets really tricky when you're paying up for that sort of profile. Uh, last, Sorry, I, I said last thing with Stafford. Last question. Uh, the Russell Wilson rushing, he had like 54 rushing yards this week. I know a lot of it came on one big scramble that he had. Um, but what, what do you make of that? Is he going to have just a little bit more rushing? Not, not back to like old Russell Wilson when he was right. rushing for, you know, 600 yards a season, but is that back in the in the arsenal a little bit here? I mean, it, it it's we we def, we definitely don't have the sample size to say it. And uh, if mo- most of his it sounds like most of his rushing is from that one attempt. And um, but if if if, if he could, if he's still able to do forty yard uh, or whatever it was uh, rushing attempts, that's definitely interesting. Like I I don't recall Tom Brady or Peyton Manning ever having a uh, forty yard rushing attempts. That being that being in his arsenal at all is definitely interesting, and yeah, I, I I agree with you. Like the 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 days of old doesn't seem to be there, but um if 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 you have some probability of getting like adding like four to five points, um from like big runs, like that's super interesting. All right. I think if we're going to keep it to a tight 90, we got to yeah. get to the next chart here. And, um, and so for whatever reason, this one always is just a tiny bit too large. We're going to need to zoom out just a bit. Um, but this is our RB snaps and usage chart. Uh, what this chart is good at is it's telling us who's got specific roles on a team. And so, you know, reading from the top down, it's going to be the guys that are on the field the most. Um, we've got our yellow is the routes that they ran green is the rush attempts blue is the pass blocks and then gray is the run blocks. And I kind of look at as far as the colors, what's the most desirable, uh, yellow, if they're actually converting that into targets is really valuable. Green is the next most valuable blue is actually fine in my book. If a guy's on the field pass blocking, it just means he's, he's probably going to be able to be on the field more in passing situations, which we want. And then gray is is not good. I don't I don't really want my guys to right. have a lot of gray on their chart. Well, I mean, we, we want guys that who are on the field all the time either way. Um, but I I think and uh, blue is interesting in that like if, if somebody is pass blocking a lot, it means they're trusted. Um, and but yeah, it obviously they're not uh, they're not 
and snaps that can be converted, converted into points. And then obviously the, the, this chart is it's on a scale of percentages. So um, the more the more it, it's, for example, let's say uh, Zach Moss. That that's just shy. That's about 35 percent of his uh, team of that offenses. And plays were rush attempts for Zach Moss. So, um, so Zach, where, where there, is there anybody here who um who's kind of a surprise to you, or I, it shouldn't be a surprise after last week? But Kyron Williams has an absolutely elite role. Um, yeah, you know he he's not just from measurable standpoint. He's not particularly talented. He he doesn't look you know. So, so he, he looks fine. He looks totally serviceable on the field, but the role is so good that it, it literally doesn't matter. Um, he's just going to, yeah. he, he will be out there scoring fantasy points for you. Um, the one that I noticed as well, that was uh, a guy didn't put up a great fantasy stat line, but Josh Jacobs usage is still really good. Um, he'll show up on the next chart as well. Um, when we look at efficiency numbers and expected fantasy points, but uh, just for anyone that just looked at the box score and was like, oh my gosh, Josh Jacobs was terrible. I mean, they were they were getting shellacked by the Bills. And you can see that reflected in his pass blocking numbers too. They just they needed to throw a lot and uh, at least he stayed on the field. He, you know. Yeah, I I, I noted in um in in Gretch's uh, stealing signals, um or, or, or sorry, Gretch noted in his stealing signals that uh the, the Raiders had a really low play count. Like, they didn't have very many plays at all. So, uh, he, he, he can have a big uh, percentage that, that probably doesn't translate to the box score. But I, I, I don't think you really uh, expect um, the Raiders to have, like, a, an abysmally low play count. So, it, it goes to your point that uh, his, his role is still really valuable. The, the points just haven't been there yet. Uh, yeah. One that one that stuck out to me on the the negative side is Damian Pierce. Um, I I know it's only two weeks in, and I know the Texans' offensive line has had you know a lot of injuries. They're they're not anywhere close to full strength. Um, but Damian Pierce, I I feel pretty confident in saying already that. Uh, you know, the fifth round or, or sixth round, it, he was mostly in the fifth round, I, I want to say, in, in best ball drafts. But that fifth, fifth, sixth round price tag for him, not looking good. Uh, all, um, all the hallmarks of a dead zone back. Yeah, 100%. That is, that's the dead zone back archetype yeah. right there. Uh, him and, him and Najee like Harris. Super confident that they were getting all the snaps. And then and I suppose they, they don't get all the snaps and then they don't, really play well with them either speaking of um uh players that the market might get overconfident in um in uh them getting all 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 the all the snaps all the usage is there do you think there's any risk that kyron williams that uh going forward do, do you think do you think he's like solid in that role now or is this something where you know it's the rams they could get weird and it, let's say the resurrection comes back and, and, and people draft them in the fifth round or something like that on this role. And then is there any risk that that gets rug pulled? I think there's a small amount of risk um, stemming from just his lack of talent. Not not to say anything bad about Kyron Williams, but I, yeah. I think that 
you can plug in, you know, you could plug in Zach Moss into that role in the Rams backfield. And yeah. Zach Moss is also not a particularly talented player uh, for NFL standards, but you know, he's still going to produce. So I, I think the risk that you're looking at is just uh, a talent risk. Like maybe you get someone else on that depth chart that ascends. Uh, maybe you get a, a Zach Evans, you know, that somehow works his way onto the field. Um, that would be my only concern, but I do think the Rams really like Kyron Williams. So I, I would say you can operate with relative confidence that Kyron's going to maintain that role as long as he's able to stay healthy. He The other concern is he is a smaller back. He's, he's 190-something. Um, so the amount of work he's getting is pretty significant for someone his size. So that would those would be kind of the two prongs of my concern for Kyron Williams. But overall, I think you got to operate with decent confidence that he's just going to be the guy going forward. And, and, and I'm just looking at it here. And he had a, even like last week, he ran 80% of the routes, or, or week two, he, Kyron Williams ran 80% of the routes. In week one, when Cam Akers was active, it was still 72%. And then it, uh, week one, 15 uh, rush attempts, week two, 14 rush attempts. So, just to, I guess uh, reiterate I, that does feel like something where that's his role. I I, I don't think um I, I I don't think there is much risk to that. If if they if they really like him as the uh, passing down back, like and and they had him and they had him uh, running routes even when Cam Akers was was active. That that does feel like something pretty sustainable. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you, you can operate with pretty strong confidence. He's the guy going forward. Um, just those little bits of risk that I mentioned. Uh, another another back on here that I wanted to point out, um, Derek Henry had a better scoring week for fantasy this week. Uh, his usage still, you know, a little lower. Um, we're definitely seeing Tajay Spears. Tajay Spears is uh, is getting snaps he's he's on the field so he's really interesting to me as maybe someone later on in the season that comes on or in the event that the titans just start losing a lot of games like having him be more involved in the passing game definitely looks uh promising because henry is not running very many routes um that was another one i noticed uh the other one was uh AJ Dillon, even though he got uh, obviously a lot more work with Aaron Jones out this week, um, and, and this data is aggregating week one and week two, so that's why you're not seeing you know AJ Dillon shoot up the chart here. Um, but AJ Dillon didn't do a ton with it, uh, so I'm not you know once once you get uh, Aaron Jones healthy, I don't I don't really think you're going to see AJ Dillon be able to steal so so much work from Aaron Jones. He just doesn't look great. And one thing I think that's interesting about uh, Henry, uh, Derek Henry, whereas it used to be in, in prior years, he was just getting like a really high snapshot, really high snapshot. And okay, and even though he didn't get a lot of passing work, he was able to be so efficient as a rusher and get so much of it that still sort of got there. And then... Uh, it was last year and, and the year before where you had games where he was he had that and then he also had targets and, and that's how you got that's how you got this sort of like Derrick Henry uh, legendary upside sort of stuff. But 
I think, especially as the snaps come down and he gets older, like for him to maintain and keep the efficiency, uh, he he needs to like continue to be productive. Like obviously, ex- exceptional player. That that does seem like e- even even bigger risk than uh, than we imagine. Like you're still getting the points now, but definitely risky. I've uh, I've got a fun question for you. Who who are you taking earlier in? You know, you you go on DraftKings. They've got their week three best ball tournaments right now, where you can draft okay. for the rest of the season. Travis Etienne or Derrick Henry? Oh, Travis Etienne. Like uh, I, I I I made him. Uh, I made uh, uh, us uh, put uh, Etienne as as the sneaky RB one last year. Um, but go ahead, get, hit me with some more. I, I got it. I got another one for you. Jameer Gibbs or Derrick Henry? Oh my God. Um, I mean, I think I'm a fraud if I don't say yeah, don't say Gibbs, but it doesn't it for week three and on. Yeah, I, I, I think it is Gibbs just because I know his, his root share really got up there this week. And even though like you get you get some of the gripes of like uh, Dan Campbell, oh his his root caused the pick six and then even the, and, and they've been hesitant to play him. I just think when when you and take into account how back weighted fantasy football is to the last couple of weeks of the season, like it it I think at, at least it, it's there's a good probability um that Gibbs is is decently outscoring Henry at that point. I, I'm I'm curious. So w- w- would you would you have gone the other way? No, I, I agree with you on both those. I've got the hardest one so far for you here. Okay. Though. Okay. And then I've got one more after it. Kenneth Walker or Derrick Henry? Um, I I think I think I'm Kenneth Walker there too. Um, and it's because very similar archetypes where um they're not really uh, they're not really pass catchers, and you just you need the uh, you need the rushing efficiency to get there. Um. I, I think this might this definitely says more about Henry than uh, than moving Henry down than than pushing Walker into like the third round or something like that, um because I I guess you, you still do have um um it, his roots came down quote a, a decent amount uh, last week so there's still there's still some risks there in 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 Walker's sort of usage even though the talent is very strong and um, but. Definitely, if I'm being asked to make efficiency bets on a back, I do feel much better about Walker. Okay, last one here. Brian Robinson or Derek Oh, my Henry? God. Um, I, I, want, I honestly, I, I think I'm, I am Henry there. Um, just because he is, it's still, like, obviously older Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry losing snaps. But still, Derrick Henry, I still I think uh, that the he he's just such an elite talent, even if he is older. Uh, and uh, Brian Robinson, he's still in like a, a split back share uh, backfield. Um, so yeah, uh, not not willing to go there yet. Yeah, I uh, I come down on the same side as you do for all of those. You know what I I think Brian Robinson is though. Brian Robinson is what all of the Najee drafters thought that Najee <laughs> was, right? That's what Brian Robinson is. He's like what Najee would be if Najee was halfway decent. Um, right. But Najee is not. 
Um, my the funniest play I got to watch uh, of this week two of football was when Najee reversed direction in the backfield and ran like 60 yards for a 20 yard gain. And he was running out of gas at the line of scrimmage. By the time he got back to the line of scrimmage, he was like fully gassed. He did manage to break it for like 20 yards, but it was that was a a really fun one to watch. Yeah, on a yeah. And I saw that the uh, the Roto World headline that uh, he erupted for uh, forty three yards. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that that's that's down bad. Uh, anyone else on this uh, RB chart, or should we go on to the guys getting less usage? Um, I think it's um, I think it's somewhat interesting that Miles Sanders is still pretty high up here, um, but. Obviously, that's with the caveat that we have uh, grave concerns with the uh, the offense that he's on. And and you know what, Chuba got five targets this week. You can you can fact check me on that one, um, but I believe if memory serves, Chuba got five targets, and I want to say Sanders got two, one one or two. Um, so I definitely see the work being split over the course of the season. I think that Miles Sanders, if he is going to be getting more work, is getting the low calorie stuff. Um, and I, I think a, a lot of people say like, oh, Miles Sanders is a bad back. I don't think he's as bad as guys like Najee or, you know, some of, right. some of the lower talent guys. Good. I don't think he's terrible. Plus NFL talent. Yeah, for, for sure. He's a plus NFL talent. I also, I think Chuba is like replacement level talent as well. So I don't think he, they're both better than Jamal Williams, you know? like Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. So I think it's going to trend to being more split. Um, but I do think that Chuba is getting more of the work in the passing game, which that's what I want in that offense. They're going to be bad. They're going to lose a lot of games. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I, I like it uh, before we move on. I do like seeing that, uh, Bijan, even, uh, even though he's splitting with, um, Algier more than, uh, than the market was expecting. Do like to see that his sort of like productive snap rate is around 60%. That is like, it's just, it's not, it's a, like, it's just a step below that sort of like second tier of work horse-ish running backs. And and definitely feels like as the season goes on that he, he could, he, he could add his strong efficiency to, uh, or say he's already ready. Bijan is already strongly efficient, but he could also add in perhaps uh, a bit more snap share to get even more production. Yeah, I agree. And just from from watching Bijan, there will not be a game this season where Bijan Robinson is not the best football player on the field at <laughs> all times. Like that dude is insane. He moves in. There are multiple times where I'm watching Bijan run where he is moving out of the way of a tackler and he's still moving forward. He is he is moving like sideways and forward so <laughs> suddenly at the same time i my brain like can't comprehend that it's happening in the way that it's happening he looks he looks like the best player hands down he's very um strong. so I, I i know i've seen uh, some talk that uh cmc is like should be the 101 um are, are, are you there and then w- where would you put at uh, bijan after that this this sounds weird to say after two weeks of the 49ers just keeping Christian McCaffrey on the field the entire time. I don't think that his usage is going to be as sticky as it is. Um, yeah. I think that 
you know, that game against the Rams was very close. They could have lost that game easily. Um, you know, if it wasn't for that Kyron Williams, you know, interception, um, I think that you definitely could have seen the 49ers lose to the Rams there. Um, and then in week one, like, yeah, they were they were beaten on the Steelers, um, but it was week one and Christian McCaffrey was feeling good. He's fully healthy right now. He doesn't have like the nicks and bruises that you accumulate over the course of the season. I don't think this usage stands. Um, and I know, I believe it was Ben uh, who wrote about this in uh, Stealing Signals, something to the effect of the 49ers just decided, hey, Elijah Mitchell, you're the odd man out. We have too many talented guys to get the ball distributed to all of them. So you're just never going to see the field. And I think that's going to be true when the games are close. But when they play games that are out of hand, um, or, or even when Christian McCaffrey is just a you know a little bit nicked up, I think we're not going to see this usage hold. And that's not to say that he's not a, an incredibly strong first round pick, but just that you know as the 101, like I'm still pretty confidently taking Justin Jefferson 101, and I also think I'm taking Tyree Kill 102. Um, but then Christian McCaffrey is, is probably the back that you have to take there. And then in that next tier, I think it's got to be Bijan, right? I can't yeah, you, you yeah. have anyone different. Yeah, I, I was I was leading you to say that. Uh, I, I that I was saying like I was try, I was I was basically trying to get you to say yeah, Bijan is after that. And I completely uh, agree. Um I I think it's somewhat interesting that um so like this elite, elite, elite usage for CMC, it's only like it's twenty carries a game, and then um, what is it? We're looking at three and a half targets a game. So like obviously very, very good. Um, but if you're um, if you're thinking like, oh, what's what's the best? What's the best role in the NFL? Like obviously twenty five touches a game is is like. Is pretty workhorse horseish, but I would bet if you got it, if if they get into games where like there's more there's more uh, touches for the backs than twenty five ish, then they're they're definitely bringing in Elijah Mitchell. Like I think part of this percentage thing is that they just haven't gotten into where uh, they haven't got to a stage where like okay, we've given them too much t- touches. We need we need to give this guy a breather. Yeah, I agree. Um, but if, if, if you don't have anyone else, we can move on to the, uh, to the backup chart. Yeah. Let's go to the backup chart. We're, uh, we're going to try and stay on schedule tonight, folks. Uh, so I think here... I actually, I think we're on good schedule. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, here on this second chart, um, there's a couple guys here where like justice Hill, Gus Edwards, they both are, they will eventually, work their way towards that starter chart. It's just still the lag from week one where uh, Dobbins got everything in the first half, basically uh, other than justice coming in and and getting a couple touches. And then in the second half, it was Gus and justice, but uh, those guys will work their way up. Um, Other guys that I fully anticipate to work their way onto that first chart. You're going to see Gibbs work his way onto the first chart with the Montgomery injury. You're going to see Warren slowly work his way onto the first chart just because we got we watched Najee play football for two weeks. Like um, the uh, the Bears backfield is interesting to me. I 
think that there's a chance that Herbert and Roshan consolidate everything between the two of them. I mean, you had down to Foreman inactive this last week. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's going to be consistent going forward, but if there's a chance they consolidate it. Um, but that offense doesn't look great. So I don't know how desirable, you know, either of them are for fantasy. I, I mean, if I had to pick one, it's Roshan just since he's a rookie running back, um, you know, his, his mm-hmm. ticker should be trending up over the course of the season. Um what do you what do you make of Javante Williams' usage so far, and how do you feel about him going forward this season? Um, so obviously he's uh he's playing off the ACL, uh, so he is being an uh, inch along, and uh, and and I think as long as like he's he's continuing prog- like progressing through his rehab, I I think that that something that sort of like missed a little bit or or not communicated well is that like part of the rehab from these knee injuries is actually playing in the game like the, the way the way that people come back from injuries is by getting stronger by getting more uh stamina by 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 putting stresses on, on that injury and so um th- he he's sort of like still in his um his rehab and then once uh once he gets a couple of games under his belt assuming and uh, no setbacks or anything like that uh would definitely expect um better uh, him him to get into the starter chart, and I think if you um if you have the outlook that the uh, the the Broncos are going to be a somewhat decent offense, then um will uh he, he will he he should be a productive back. Um, I think though um. If you were drafting Javante in the sixth round, it does unless unless um unless we see this again a good bit better soon. I think this is sort of shaping up to be a little disappointing there. Um, but if you if you were drafting him much earlier early in the offseason and then um, later in the draft, I, I I think that this is this is really strong for Javante. Um. But um, it it it's it's also hard it's hard to call just because his um apart from his broken tackle metrics he's never been particularly efficient so it is it, it it's a tricky I think it is a tricky one where um you need you, you do need uh, you need more snap share than, than than you're looking for from Breeze and then you do need his recovery to be good enough where he can play well. I, that's sort of a wishy-washy answer, and um, but I think I'm pro- I, I'm probably not drafting him in the sixth, but happy to draft him in the eight round. That is how I put it. Yeah, I think that's a good assessment, and that's not wishy-washy. That's the way. Like I know that uh, what a lot of I, I don't think this audience is is that way, but I know that what a lot of people look for in fantasy analysis, they want like those strong takes or the right. strong stands. When really what good analysis is, is what you just did. You kind of laid out, you know, hey, here's the whole situation. Here's the pros and cons. Here's how it could break your way. Here's what you're looking for, for it to go well. You know, here's a reasonable, you know, price range for him. Right. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I agree with that assessment on Javante. It's all pretty positive so far. The way uh, most of my Javante came in like round eight, round nine, you know. Yeah. And I'm I'm feeling great about it. Um, yeah. 
for sure. The uh, the other guy that was going in that range of drafts and is right below him on the charts, though, uh, Dalvin Cook. Woof. I mean, I know I know it was the Cowboys defense. And so, like, for, for me, honestly, what I'm doing for the Jets this week is just like just that's a throw away the tape game. You know, like I'm not to not to be the world's biggest Cowboys homer. I'm pretty sure a lot of teams are going to have their worst offensive performance against that defense this year. Um so I, I think you can throw away the tape there. I mean, it also doesn't help that Zach Wilson was the quarterback. Um, that one. I was about to say, hold on there, Homer. You played fucking Zach Wilson. <laughs> and what's the other guy? Yeah, Daniel yeah, Dimes. Zach, Zach Wilson Dimes. and Daniel Jones and, and two offensive lines that have not shown that they've been particularly strong. But I, uh, I do think even though the uh, competition that defense has faced has not been uh, you know, the highest echelon that the NFL has to offer. I think that we're getting way more signal than noise from that defense is, is what I'll say about it. But no one wants to hear a Cowboys homer go on about how this defense <laughs> is the doomsday defense again. Uh, but what the people do want to hear is about Justice Hill. Um, because Justice Hill, while he didn't put up an incredible box score for you this week, there were some really encouraging things about the way that the workload was split and most specifically the way the high value touches were split. So this is a situation I followed extremely closely as the resident Justice Hill truther. Um, and Justice took basically a 55-45 split. Uh, Gus did get work, but Gus basically got a lot of the you know lower calorie carry type work. Uh, Justice out-touched him in high-value touches 5-1, to one, and the only high-value touch Gus did get was a goal-line carry where, unfortunately for Justice Hill, he did get stuffed the play right before, and then Gus came in and, and cleaned it up and vultured the TD. Um, I do think that that, that definitely that caps the ceiling for Justice, right? He's he's 190-pound something, you know, satellite yeah. back plus. He's not, he's not going to be the power back on the goal line. But we did see in week one, he is able to score from, you know, those green zone touches. I just don't think the, uh, you know, run up the middles are, are going to be the highest probability for Justice Hill touchdown plays. Um, but overall, it was super positive for him. I do think really what you're looking at, though, is you're just looking for in games where the Ravens go crazy, um, Justice Hill has multi-touchdown upside in his range of outcomes and in games where the Ravens are behind a lot and having to throw more um, he is squarely the passing back um, so that's that's what you wanted to see that was the whole thesis of the play so uh, Justice Hill slappies were alive and <laughs> um, I I think though the fact that he did get a uh, two uh, two green zone touches is still like he's, he's not dead for a, a goal line uh, uh, work he he's just sort of splitting it. Yep. Um. But yeah. A agreed. Agreed. It, it's definitely the 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 usage and and the situation is better than uh, than last week's box score would indicate. So moving on, and uh, and so we're still we're still on the uh, the Orbi uh, charts, and this is expected points. So we have a uh, rushing expected points from rushing. On the uh, on the horizontal axis, and then expected points from receiving uh, and and targets uh, on the on the vertical axis, um, and so we we we'll, we have covered a lot of um a lot of these players 
But I guess this this sort of converts it from like, oh, when were you on the field to like, how good was your opportunity and, and how efficient were you with it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I do want to add just as some uh, some clarity to this chart for guys that played week one, but didn't play week two, like Austin Eckler, we're only pulling week one data in here. So that's mm -hmm. that's why he still is where he is. Um, guys that stood out to me, uh, I mean, Raheem Mostert looks like a very strong pick where he was going in best ball still. Um, the role is just the role is fantastic. Um, what this really does for me, like I, I'm obviously super excited for the teams where I've got Raheem Mostert on them. What makes me really excited, though, is that the runway is starting to get cleared out for A-Chain um, because yeah. you've had a couple injuries now. You know, you've still got Jeff Wilson on IR with the extremely dubious comments from the coaches of he could come back this season. Excuse me? Right. Um, he might still be alive by week seven. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Salvan Ahmed uh, got banged up in the last game. I haven't seen anything uh, specific about the severity of his injury, but it's starting to look like we're going to get some A-chain opportunity. He did manage to sneak his way onto the field a little bit uh, in week two. So I think we're, we're starting to see that ramp up for him, which that's really, that's what you need. I would anticipate where he gets involved first is more in the passing game. Not that Mostert is not a perfectly competent uh, back in the passing game, but I think that A-Chain adds a lot more, and that is what we saw from him when he was on the field. Um, so this, just if you take Raheem Mostert there and you just remove his name and put Dolphins running back, that's the way that I'm looking at it. And so that's a role that I think is super valuable. It's just an offense that's going to score a bunch of points. You want the running back there, uh, you know, should be able to be pretty efficient with it. And, and just as well, it's Raheem Mostert. He's 32. It's week two. Like, I mean, obviously, you you, you hope that he makes a full year. And, and, and for him, as, as a player, definitely hope that. Um, but on, on sort of balance of probabilities, like, it, it is hard to see him be healthy and productive the same way he has been through, uh, what is it, three months, uh, three plus months of an NFL season. So, uh, one, easy to see somebody else come in. One thing you mentioned last week that I wanted to point out uh, this week is for the size of the dots, you can see up in the top left-hand corner, we've got the size reference is uh, that size of the pink dot there is zero fantasy points over expected per game. And so you can look at this in, in a couple ways. Uh, number one, guys with a bigger size, uh, they're probably playing a little bit more efficiently. You know, the touches that they're being given, they're actually making more out of those than, than what they should be worth. The other thing, though, is if you get someone who runs super hot on touchdowns, they also will show up as a larger size. Is that the yeah. correct interpretation of that? So just be yeah. wary. Um, you know, not all size is created equal. Um <laughs> But like challenge yourself to that. One uh, one that I see that stands out that is not exciting for me is Damian Pierce. Um, I mean, we we touched on it earlier. Not only is you know his role much smaller than anticipated, but his efficiency looks pretty poor. I mean, he is in that ten to fifteen expected fantasy points band there. Um, but that's a guy where, like, here here's a question. Um, Neither oh, of these are super brutal. exciting backs, but Isaiah Pacheco or Damian Pierce, who would you rather have on your team? 
and Pacheco. And okay. So Here. I ju- just just on 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 the uh, efficiency. So he's been bad on a yardage efficiency. So was, uh, last uh, last week he was minus four and a half uh, expected points uh, or, or over expected points on the yardage component, and then minus five point one on um on the TD. So that's like a, a, a negative nine point six. Obviously, this is uh, volatile. You don't expect that uh, that low every uh every week but really quite poor sorry go ahead no no the uh the other one that this one uh i i guess i'm just gonna have to uh to take the l on this one but latavius murray having a legitimate role beyond being just a camp body for the bills is baffling to me i don't think that damian harris looks bad when he gets on the field but there, I think that this is probably a really savvy thing for real life football. Like, hey, let's take our our two guys that are going to be our more bruiser type backs. Except Latavius Murray is involved in the passing game, like pretty pretty good as well. But they're they're just splitting the load between those guys. So like, I, it's probably savvy for for real football for fantasy football. It's pretty frustrating. I think right. you uh, you're, you're much lower on Damian Harris going forward again Latavius Murray is 34 so in the same you know same way that Raheem Mostert we don't really anticipate him having his strongest production in the back half of the season I would I'd feel the same about Murray yeah but uh when I when I'm thinking of Murray I'm more so thinking of him with respect to what does this mean for James Cook what does this mean for Damian Harris um so how would you how would He's you a blocker, James right? Cook and Damian Harris going forward so um James Cook obviously his um his yardage has been good his snap count has been good um but frustrating that there's now two guys ahead of him on the uh, seam or, or he's having to not only is is uh, Josh Allen going to account for a high percentage of the goal line uh touchdowns but having two other backs that are going to mix in or and potentially play ahead of him on the uh, on the goal line it is it's definitely frustrating and um, i think though um there's probably at least some probability that and uh, james cook has maybe a better goal line role than uh that we've seen through two weeks and um, like like you mentioned latavius murray is 34 and um, and i think james cook he has he has been a good rusher so I I think that he could still like be a good goal line back, but definitely I think at least for the season for the regular season part of uh, of contests that um him for now looking like that uh he sort of washed out of the of the goal line stuff it it, it does take out your uh your your outcomes where okay you took him in the fifth or whatever and now um. And now he's going to be so good that he should act, he actually should have been in the second round pick. So you, you got a, you got a complete steal. I think that, that um you probably you, you're uh, you're not dra- drawing super live to, to get like this really high uh, advance rate. Um, but I I don't I don't think it, like the for the whole year that his goal line that he's just dead to have a, a goal line role. 
Um, he's just a little bit a little bit blocked to have enough of one that you need. Um, if you took him in the fifth, um, but definitely, I mean, I think that um, he's definitely someone where you're interested in. Let's say around the seventh round. I I, I think still quite interesting because he he is getting a lot of uh, uh, non-goal line usage. He has been efficient. Um, so that's, yeah, I, I think that's about where I, I'm at on him. Okay. I, I had one more back I wanted to talk about on this chart before we move on. Uh, and that's, is there a more like ho-hum he's going to score his fantasy points back than Ramondre Stevenson feels right now. Like, doesn't that just feel like, yeah, sure. I'll take Ramondre. And I, I, you know, if you were drafting a a week three, you know, best ball team right now, doesn't he probably just goes like fourth round? Like, I guess I click Ramondre Stevenson here kind of pick. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think uh, Zeke is playing a little bit more than you're expecting. Uh, uh, or a little bit more than I was expecting. Like, I knew that he was going to play. I I didn't quite realize that he was going to play that much. Um, but I think um, the sort of like overall thesis for Ramondre, where uh, I was drafting drafting him in the fort um, during the offseason, I think that's like still sort of very much in play. Um, and I would, uh, and, and maybe this is hope. But I would hope that the more Zeke plays bad, the less he gets played. So, like, uh, Ramondre's role does get bigger. And then um, um, maybe with so- some of the more encouraging signs from uh, from Mac Jones, where, okay, the-, the offense doesn't have enough good players to, like, make Mac Jones look overall good. But maybe he can keep it going just enough so that um, – uh, there is something for Ramondre to work with, and um, but yeah, uh, the fact I, I, I'm just thinking through it now. The fact that like it doesn't feel super live for the New England Patriot offense to be overall like really good, that that hurts Ramondre a bit. And um, but still, I, I I think still quite interested in the uh, in the fourth round. Where I am. I, um, where where are you on on, on James Cook? Are are, are you um, are, are you different than me? Uh, I think I think the people that got him in like you know the eighth ninth round yeah. got a really good price. I think the people that chased him up to the fifth are probably not. You're not like a, this. Obviously, this week he had great production. You you probably if you drafted him in the fifth, you're probably telling yourself like it's fine. Like you look yeah. at how good he was. But I think what you're going to end up with over the course of the season is a guy where the fifth is probably like a break-even price. You yeah. know, your yeah. best case scenario is that that's an efficient pricing of him, which yeah. that's not really the way that I want to. I mean, you know, if if I have to pick between picking a player that's efficiently priced or picking a player that busted, like, yeah, I'll take the efficiently priced guy yeah. all day. But uh, that's not what I'm, I'm not setting out to find all the guys that are efficiently priced in drafts, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're trying to win tournaments. And I don't not uh unless unless so unless he he does actually work into a decent share of the goal line role, you're it it it's probably not going to be a tournament winning pick. Yeah, I mean, it may, he he definitely for the eighth ninth round price, I think that's still enough room. Yeah, 
yeah, where you, yeah, that could sure. be a tournament winning pick, right? Yeah, ag- totally agreed. Um, is there anybody else? I, I, I do think we have to move on. And put it, yeah, I think, I, I think we're going to go to the that. next one. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I got to just start us off here. I mean, we already saw that Kyron's usage was elite, but yeah, his, his expected fantasy points is also elite. Um, yeah. Man, you know what? I, I'm really disappointed that Pat did not include Kyron Williams in his legendary upside articles this offseason. Um, he just his, he didn't have his third eye open quite enough. Yeah. Um, but, man, I mean, the only guys that are looking so far legitimately live for, like, a legendary upside type season are Tony Pollard, CMC. I mean, if Austin Eckler only misses one week, Austin Eckler. Uh, Bijan Robinson and you know maybe maybe Brees for the back half of the season and then Kyron Williams <laughs> right it, it, it's rarefied air um it, and, and very for like a uh for such a late round pick it's so it's so unusual for this to have happened um but in, in hindsight it doesn't feel great to have like um like it, I I I wasn't I wasn't particularly against Kyron, but I wasn't particularly like on him, um, so to speak. And like looking back, when the only other back that the uh, the coaches liked was Cam Akers, it 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 doesn't feel great to have like not been fifty uh, percent Kyron. Yeah, I uh, I really liked Kyron this off season. A lot of people that I follow that. You know, I, I think her sharp analysts had pointed me in the direction of Kyron, and I liked him last season. I had some. Kyron I loved him last year. Yeah, then we we didn't get to see the bet play out. Um, and earlier in the off season, this this is something where I feel like it's a good thing to do in your drafting process, but it's also something where I'm making a note to be careful about this next season as well. Um, but I I really lumped some of these players into this archetype that I had in my mind for them. And for Kyron, I had put him in this. He's probably going to be the guy that gets a lot of the passing work. He's smaller. They really like him in that role. You know, Cam Akers probably gets the stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't care that Cam Akers is getting, he's getting, you know, 16 carries for 50 yards. Like who cares? Kyron's getting six targets or whatever. And the Rams are going to be bad and they're going to be losing. And so I want, you know, I want Kyron on full PPR sites. So I, I targeted Kyron more on DraftKings and had a little bit of him on uh, underdog, but it was only 18 rounds on underdog. It's like, ah, I'm not so confident that I need Kyron here and I like him better in full PPR. And really what I should be doing instead of like lumping a player into this is the archetype. This is the only box they fit in and I'm drafting them like that always is I really need to think of like the range of their archetypes. They could, you know, in the event um, now, now that I think back to it, um, Jacob Sanderson had a a pretty good article about, you know, running backs as balloons and occupying space in, uh, in an offense, which I, I, at first I was like, man, this, this metaphor, we're, we're stretching it a little bit, but now that I think about it with respect to Kyron, it's like, yeah, if I had viewed Kyron through that lens, I, I potentially could have gotten myself onto more Kyron. Um, 
so yeah, just a note that I wanted to make for next season. Like, don't be so yeah. rigid in my definition of what a back is, because um, we don't we don't know. Yeah, that. agreed. And like, I hated Cam Akers so much this year. And I'm like, it's like, why don't why don't like how did then that I make the jump from I hate Cam Akers, and Kyron is the only other back they like. He goes in the last round, like, and you're right. Like having I had this idea of like, okay, like. He's not an NFL athlete. Like his time was really bad. He looked bad when he played. And 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 making a note of like you know there's there's a range of outcomes here, and it is like you only have to take him in a twentieth round. And like I I I really like that point. Um, one of uh one of the other ones that I wanted to point out here, um, we talked about his usage a little bit and uh, Gretch and stealing signals talked about this too, but Jacob's efficiency has definitely been poor. I mean, it wasn't all the way to a throw out the tape game against the bills, but it, you know, it was getting close. Um, But yeah, that's, that's slightly concerning for Jacobs. His role is still, it looks to be very good in the offense. So I'm not ready to, to say that he couldn't easily push himself back up into that, you know, 20 expected fantasy point tier. He only, he only got like, what, what was it like 10, 11 touches or 10, yeah, 10 11 yeah. carries or something. I, I think there was only something like only 40 offensive snaps for the Raiders. Yeah. And it's like really low. And, and so he had 13 expected points and he scored 10 points. And, this is week two, um. So yeah, it it, it 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 is one of those things where, and then um, in week one he had minus eleven and a half. Most of those from not converting uh, goal line uh, rush attempts. So, th- I think there there is something there where there's been uh, outlier sort of like inefficiency that uh, speaks to outlier um, stuff like. Not being able to convert goal line t- uh, touches that that that's just a randomness thing, and like unless he's terrible now, like you probably would expect that to go back to like a more average, um, statistic, and then you probably would expect the Raiders. I think that was something like six yards of play, so it wasn't awful, um, them to have a uh, closer to a normal amount of uh, offensive snaps, um. So again, it is. The, I think the main message is that Jacob's role is still very, very strong, um, but it's like with a player like Jacobs, how, how many like how many bad uh, efficiency things can you like can you handle? Because he's not like he's not for his career. He hasn't been this major efficiency guy. So I think just just last season, right? Like yeah, every, just every last year. season was not great. And so I think if you're talking about him as like a third, fourth round pick, it do, it, it is starting to feel a little bit dead zony. And like that 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 could turn around next week with how good his role is if the offense plays well and, and he converts um goal line touches to touchdowns could completely uh reverse next year. So I, I think the story is this um it's still out. The, the jury's still out on Jacobs a little bit, but um, not as negative as, as, as maybe it looks, but definitely starting to get skeptical. 
Yeah, I think I think I'm a buyer in the fourth round. If he's if he's going in the fourth round, I'm I'm pretty interested. I think the role is good yeah. enough that I'm willing to just take a bet that the the early season inefficiency stuff for him is just noise, and that uh, he looks more like he did last season. Yeah, um, yeah, I I think that I think that's very reasonable. Um, do you want to move on? Yeah, let's uh let's keep going because we uh. We're, we're starting to get a little long-winded here, and uh, if we're trying to keep this as a tight 90, we got to yeah. get moving. Um, so quick refresher on this tight end utilization chart. This is just uh, the percentage of the team's dropbacks. Uh, the green is what percent of routes did the tight end run, and the kind of salmon-ish color is what percent of pass-blocking snaps did they have on the team's dropbacks. I mean, Durham Smythe is the utilization king. Uh, that guy, that guy is just on the field all the time. You you definitely could do worse than Durham Smythe uh, as a tight end. If he's uh, if he's still on your waiver wire and you're languishing at tight end, just uh, get Durham Smythe because at least he's out there. At least he's running a lot of routes. Um, right, and, and lots of routes is it. That's the pathway for late t- tight end smashes. Like those guys who are just on the field all the time. Like that, that, that's how you get those big uh, late round uh, breakouts. And his uh, his target per run is really low, which I guess is not super surprising, uh, given how ho hum the offense has been. Like um, Tyreek is cooking, and Jalen Waddle not quite what he was last year, but still producing big plays, still open. Um, but I I I I think um. You will get weeks where, uh, just because he's on the field all the time, where it does feel quite likely that you'll get multiple touchdown weeks from uh, from Smite. You just you don't know when that'll happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in that offense, like you can definitely see him getting a couple, you know, little play action on the goal line type deals. Um, another guy that just jumps off the page here is Zach Ertz, thirty three percent targets per route run. Um, now, I know that this week uh, I did see more of uh, Trey McBride on the field, and he, he looked halfway decent. I was actually looking through some of the PFF grades. Uh, Trey McBride is like the fifth or sixth highest overall graded pass catcher for his, uh, for his route running, um, like not just in tight end, like in wide receivers as well. So I think what I'm taking away from this is – yeah, I mean, if you uh, if you need a tight end, you you definitely could do worse than Zach Ertz. But for all those best ball teams that are holding out hope for you know the Trey McBride you know resurgence or not not resurgence, I guess a breakout really. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I just got so excited from the end of last season where we saw some some flashes right. from Trey McBride. But uh, I think there's still hope for that. I I think really what you're wanting is you want Zach Ertz to get traded and there's really no reason for this team to hold on to him. Um, but they might. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, it does very much feel like, um, um, it's, it's, it's super, it's super hard to play. Yeah. Zach Ertz, even though that's such like an elite role. And it, 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 there is pretty good signal here that the, uh, that the tight end usage on the Cardinals offense is, is is excellent, and that um, if um if we got a player that we were excited about, uh, uh, 
you said his name a second ago. Why can't I remember? Trey McBride. Trey McBride. Uh, thank you. If, if if he was to step into that, um, would be very yeah, very hopeful that you get like a a a, a, a true like smash season from uh, from McBride. Um. Uh, one two, thing that I know. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, oh, uh, sorry, I cut you off there. Two, two of the guys that I wanted to uh, point out on the chart here are two of the uh, rookie pass catching tight ends, and Sam Laporta and Dalton Kincaid. They both have good targets per route run rate. Uh, they both have lower A dots right now. The one that I'm, uh, I personally just from watching the games for both of these guys. The ones that I'm a little more concerned about are Dalton Kincaid. His really look like they're just throwing him the ball really close to the line of scrimmage. Um, where Laporta, I want to say that his were more like week one, he had a bunch of low dot stuff. And week two, he had a bunch of kind of normal dot stuff. And so it just is balancing out here. I, I want to, if I'm remembering correctly, I think his week one dot was extremely low for Laporta. Um, but Laporta looked really good. And I initially i was ready to you know just when i made the chart and i saw dalton kincaid's numbers i was like oh dalton kincaid his snaps are going down like that's not good but i do i do think that he's still going to get used i think that the team wants to use him i just think that it might take a little longer for him to get to that spot for fantasy where we're super excited about him um but yeah dawson knox is definitely going to be frustrating for uh for dalton kincaid drafters I know he got a touchdown this week. Um, he's still out there running routes. Um, and I think Kincaid was down to 60-something percent snaps this week. Uh, so definitely lower than week one. Um, but any thoughts on Laporta or Kincaid? Yeah. Um, one thing that I think that is interesting for uh, for Laporta is that um, – so his uh, his targets – sorry, his yard per route run is um, – it's a well in in week one it was one and a half in week two it was two point one, so even though the a dot is a, is not great, he is a, he is converting the, those um into into better yardage through yards after the catch, and 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 um, I guess after catch efficiency, um, and definitely definitely encouraged by uh, Laporta um uh, as sort of a rookie tight end. He's getting this very much start, like true starter uh, level snaps, and um, he's among the best for tight ends in, in his targets per rep run. And um, he's getting uh, even though the, the aid, I think the a dot is is in both weeks actually not uh, not great, and um, but he's able to, he's able to make up for it a little bit with yards after the catch, and I mean. For him to be at that level in week ones and two as a rookie tight end it, it is just really, really strong. And then if you if if you put in like if you mentally put in any sort of growth for him as a player, as he as he acclimatizes the NFL, um feels definitely feels super bullish there. Um for Kincaid, the problem for Kincaid is that he, he like he has a he has he he seems to me to have this floor for roots just because like they they really want to use him and and they don't care that Knox is their tight end they really want to use Kincaid at, at, a lot as a root runner as a sort of wide receiver typey 
and player, and but they they it's just impossible to run like that sort of formation 80% or I'm not impossible. Very, very difficult to run that sort of formation like 80%. So your, your upside there is capped. And then um, his, uh, his targets per run of 16% is like solid for a tight end, not great. And so he, he'd really have to be like a target vacuum on his sort of limited um, snaps. And then, a uh, little for for somebody who's who's sort of build as a wide receiver with t- tight end des- designation a four point eight eight super disciplined. You you really do need to see that at uh, like at least eight and 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 hopefully like ten to like really smash. And 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 with all that being said, I think the one thing that that does save him is the tight end designation, where um you can play him at tight end. And on underdog, like even though maybe you probably overpaid just a little bit, and it's still fine just because tight end is such a wasteland. And then on FFPC, like those uh, those targets, I think I think it was like six targets or something like that that you got last week, is like it's still like if if you catch those, that's still like a respectable score with the with the premium. And um, but it does feel. Um, not great from like a true smash upside, which I think I think it's a lot easier to see envision the path for Sam Laporta to get the yeah, uh, the that that sort of upside. Yeah, well, well put. Definitely agree there. And that was, I mean, during all of draft season, and in the drafts that I did with you, I, I said I'm taking no Dalton Kincaid on underdog. I, I'm only taking him on FFPC and tight end premium. Yeah, because I really. I think that if he gets there, it's going to be through that volume. And yep. I just want, you know, and, and we're actually, we're seeing it play out for, uh, for TJ Hawkinson in that way, super low dot doesn't matter. You're going to get a gang of targets and those things are 1.5 when he converts right. on, on tight end premium. So um, another guy in, in that rookie vein, uh, Luke Musgrave, good, good ADOT, uh, good targets per route run. The the only reason why I'm not more excited for Luke Musgrave is just the low volume for that offense, yeah. right? The low number of pass attempts, which, I mean, is Luke Musgrave just like free Kyle Pitts then? Like we, we paid like a seventh round price, sixth round price for Kyle Pitts. Uh, Luke Musgrave was undrafted for much of the summer. Is Luke Musgrave just discount Kyle Pitts? Um. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think that's sort of like that's very sad, um, but very very reasonable. I, I mean, the thing with Kyle Pitts is that like he, he does have access to these types of seasons that uh, Luke Musgrave probably doesn't. But right now, after two games, feel very confident that uh, Kyle Pitts is not getting those. Uh, <laughs> it, rightly or wrongly, it, it feels very certain that Kyle Pitts is not getting the seasons that that you were hoping for. Yeah, I think on a season-wide level, you're probably not getting what you would have wanted out of Pitts. Uh, I do think that, you know, and we saw this thesis play out with George Kittle last season in the playoffs, but Kyle Pitts has that type of single-game ceiling where he could just be, if you don't have Kyle Pitts in, you know, say it's week 15, you are not advancing. You know, it's yeah, all the you, Kyle no Pitts money. teams advance. 
And if you didn't have him, just, you know, unlucky. Um, because what, what we did see in week two was the Falcons are not fully allergic to the pass. They can, they can throw the ball, um, you know, some, sometimes better than others. There are a couple not great looking passes from Ritter. Um, and also, uh, they did really try to get Kyle Pitts, you know, on the board there. They tried to force him the ball in the end zone there. It didn't work out. He didn't get his touchdown, but, uh, I I'm leaving a light on for Kyle Pitts. The the single game upside is still there, but uh, on a season level, I'm not super excited. So, so where would you be drafting Kyle Pitts, you know, on a, on a oh. week three tournament right now? Where do you take him? Week three, week three and beyond or, or week yeah. three only week three and oh, beyond beyond. And I mean, this feels a little bit too anchored. Um, but I, I feel like this is one where you do want to be anchored. I'm thinking like eight rounds. Okay. Um, where like you know, you just you just never know. And it's it's like how much do I want to bet against a Call of Pits season two? And it's like maybe the the likelihood of the Call of Pits season is, is small, but. If I don't, if, if it happens and I don't have it, it's like you said, if like it, it just, it, it would be no pits, no money. Yeah. Uh, the way that I kind of see the tight end landscape shaping up so far with two weeks of data is you've got those elite guy, you know, you've got Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, TJ Hawkinson, big break, then George Kittle, because we know that he can have those huge games. He's in a, an extremely efficient offense. He absolutely can have multi TD weeks, you know, very accessible to him. And then all those guys, the, uh, you know, the Darren Waller, the uh, Evan Ingram, the David Njoku, Pat Fryermuth, Kyle Pitts, all those guys going there, a bunch of them, like the Njoku and Fryermuth, just take that whole, pull all the way down. That, that's like round, yeah. you know, 12, 13. There should be a group, a big old chunk of tight ends, basically like rounds 12 through 14 uh, is where a gang of the tight ends, just a ton should go in that range. And then you maybe like a guy like Evan Ingram and Kyle Pitts, those guys probably go in like the ninth, 10th round. Cause isn't Evan Ingram just, isn't Evan Ingram Kyle Pitts, but he's on an offense that actually throws the ball, right? Like he's, <laughs> he's super athletic, like pass catching tight end. You know he's not blocking either. Him, look at look at him and Kyle Pitts' usage. He's he's running fewer routes than Kyle, or running a lower percentage of routes yeah. than Kyle Pitts. But overall, that offense is passing more. Um, his A dot is lower, um, but Evan Ingram's always added good good after the catch numbers. So I think that that's a uh, you know Evan Ingram is just Kyle Pitts, but on an offense that can pass. And he, he's you know less talented as a player, but it doesn't matter when your offense just won't throw the ball. I agree on all on, on on like let's say the the bottom from the bottom twenty five percent to the seventy the top seventy five percent of outcomes like um you you probably um don't feel bad about taking Evan Ingram over um um Kyle Pitts it I, I just I feel I I just feel a little bit uncomfortable about fading someone where. They do have that top five, ten percent outcome, where it, it, it's just unstoppable, and and it it, it just it makes me it makes me feel very uncomfortable 
to like pass on it. And but I I, I, I could be clinging on to something there that is is it's just too it's too hard to get with Arthur Smith and, and with them winning games. I, I can definitely see something where like I think that's a five to ten percent outcome and someone's like, no, that that's a one percent outcome. That's like a, a one in a million. Um so so I maybe maybe I'm putting too much weight on uh I, I don't I don't think you are because there's a universe where Kyle Pitts catches the touchdown that they really tried to force to him this week. And yeah. we're all talking about like, oh my gosh, is Kyle Pitts season happening? Um, and I, just to take a brief detour, uh, yeah, we definitely have time for detours in this show. But uh, <laughs> the, the concept you talked about of like, oh, I don't really want to fade a guy that could bury me like that. I think from a game theory perspective, we, we talk about, you know, taking stands on guys, being really overweight on guys and fading a guy. I I feel pretty confident in saying that being double the field on a guy is a less aggressive stance to take than full fading a guy, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so when you full fade, when you 0% a guy, like full on, this dude's not on any of my teams, that's an enormous risk you're taking because like you said, if that is the guy that you need in the playoffs, because those weeks happen where it's, yeah. it, that is just the dude. Um, and you have zero, literally zero. That can be the whole season for you. The season is now over. You know, it was week right. 15. You had no Najee Harris. He fell in the end zone four times. And now Felix is winning BBM four. And <laughs> Eagles took second place and you're wanting to drink bleach, you know, like, but yeah, I think a, a full fade on a guy like Kyle Pitts that can really bury you is an extremely aggressive stance to take. And I don't think people view fades in that light. And that's something that I think that, uh, you know, if, if you're taking this seriously and building out a really big portfolio, you should really strongly consider that a full fade is an extremely aggressive position in a portfolio. That, um, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to say that... Uh... I don't want to fade. What I'm trying to, I'm like, I'm, I'm very, um, uh, how do I say it? I'm very anxious about pushing him back too much, uh, pits back too much, um. But I, I did think that was a really interesting, um, uh, way of describing how to build portfolios, and and, and that's definitely made me think. Uh, I, I'm, I'm more nervous than I should be now about, uh, about full fading Najee. Uh, I, I'd still do it again, but. That is a good way to think about it. I think I got two Najee teams. They're both like in the fifth and sixth round. So we'll, we'll take those. And um, all right, let's, I, one, I think we've... one thing I should I point, point out here is that uh, there's a couple of players here where if we were only looking at week two, it would look much better. So at uh, Darren Waller, and um, if you just look at week two and you throw out the, the weird, the weird uh, game with the, against the Cowboys and uh, he would be at an 89% root share. And Pat Fryerman, who we mentioned last week, had the injury. He had an 88% root share uh, last night. Um, and then, Cobb, sorry, George Kittle. And this is probably because of the uh, the Ayuk injury. He had an 86% root share last week. And and I wouldn't normally throw out one game uh, root shares, but just uh, bear. I guess, I guess somebody needs to bear in mind, given our, our low sample size, that some some of these players could jump quite a bit. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and it's just, yeah, we, we need to consider the context of the data, you know, just aggregating two weeks and saying this is what it is, um, is not going to be as helpful in 
cases where the situation was drastically different might be closer to the mean outcome. Right. Um, I think we uh, will we'll probably go through the, uh, the backup tight end chart quickly. Travis Kelsey, obviously don't expect him to be on the backup chart for the full season. Um, 35% target per out run, probably because of the, the few uh, routes that he ran. Um, and then I, I, I did note that uh, I, I saw that Gretsch uh, noted in uh, Stealing Signals that Everett, he actually ran quite a bit behind Parham last week. Um, and so Everett was, was the guy ahead in week one, and then Parham was the guy ahead in week two. So that 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 definitely seems like a either Parham has just um made it his 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 uh, tight end um spot or if th- those guys are gonna flip flop on routes like that week to week that makes it very difficult to uh to trust one. Yeah, I mean, and and even though Gerald Everett got out uh, out snapped by Parham, um, he did have a couple plays where he looked mm-hmm. good. Um. But yeah, it's not it's not a place where I'm super excited. I mean, definitely in season long fantasy, I don't know how you ever have the confidence to like, unless it's like a break glass in case of emergency thing. Like, how do you have the confidence to fire up Everett? In best ball, I think it'll be okay. I think Everett is kind of uh, he's like cut from the same cloth that Noah Fant is. He's not quite as athletic, but he is he's very athletic. Um, yeah, probably probably but- not quite as good, but. Uh, are, are you are you drafting him like a couple of rounds ahead of Parham? I I I think there are probably players where the ADPs should have been much closer. Yeah, now like if I were to jump in a draft right now, um, I would probably they they both would be like 18th round tight ends for me, and it, I'd yeah. randomize. I'd just pick pick whichever. Um, we did we got a, ch- a question in the chat that I wanted to oh. uh, go back to for uh, can we expect Jake Ferguson's routes to increase as the season goes on? Um, and I saw this one earlier, but we were on the the starter tight end page. I I kind of think no, um, and here's why: it the Cowboys did this last season when when they had Schultz there, um, in that they really like their their tight end room. While, you know, you, the household names of Peyton Hendershot and now Luke Schoenmacher, like you, you might not have heard of them, but the Cowboys like them. Um, and, and they're like interested in getting all of them involved and they view all of them as weapons. Like they're manufacturing touches for Peyton Hendershot. They're manufacturing touches for Luke Schoenmacher when they get on the field. It's not to say that like they're going to get a ton of volume and opportunity, but just that like Jake Ferguson is going to have trouble consolidating the role in the way that Dalton Schultz did. Um, and I don't think that it's because Schultz is necessarily like this world's better talent than Ferguson is. Um, but I just think that it's, they like all of these guys. They spent high draft capital on Schoenmacher. I would expect over the course of the season, Schoenmacher to take a step forward. I do still think that Ferguson is the one that you want to have for fantasy. Um, but it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, the Cowboys really haven't had a game where they've been forced to pass a lot more. And I, I do think that Ferguson could end up getting more opportunity in a, a game script like that. But uh, the, the real takeaway for me for Cowboys is going to come when we get to the wide receiver chart. We'll just leave that cliffhanger um, there. True. true uh, not quite a, a boots on the ground, um, but true uh, fan, uh, fan take with mixed with analytics. 
and I don't think you I don't think you'll get a more informed opinion on the uh, on the Cowboys tight ends. And the uh, the best kind of that. analysis, right? We we want to do all the analytical stuff. We want to pay attention to the metrics that can be really telling for us. But when we get that little bit of uh, qualitative analysis in there too, that's uh, not overwhelmingly Homer. That's how we how we put out the quality stuff for you guys. Really disappointed in this um in this usage stuff for Michael Meyer. Yeah, was really excited about this year. Yeah. Really, really, really strong uh, rookie uh, uh, profile going in as a rookie, and um, but re- very disappointing seeing that six percent targets per run and then a two yard a dot. Yeah, pour pour some out for Michael. My- it's not happening this season for Michael. I Meyer. think he got rookie tight end itis. Yeah, unfortunately, and um, so yeah, as you alluded to, let's uh, let's hit the yeah uh, the wide receiver chart. And just like we all expected how we were all drafting it, Puka Nakua is the alpha of all alphas. I mean, holy shit, guys. Like, it, I, I've got to believe that it comes back down to earth a little bit. Um, but maybe that's just copium since I have so little Puka. Um, and I, I have to share this little bit. I went back... I have some buddies that I do FFPC drafts with. I went back through our group text and uh, because I, I remember being on Puka early. I was I was leading the charge. I was carrying the banner for Puka. I looked back at a text on June 3rd where I just pounded the table. And I was like, we are taking Puka as our late round dart throw here. We need him as the bring back to our giant stack. Um, and so we took Puka on June 3rd. Then just a couple weeks later, June 30th, I'm less bullish on Puka. I say, I put both Puka and Tutu in the queue. I'm going to use random.org to randomize between the two of them. And then fast forward to August 26th, and my buddy asks, do we want another Puka share here? And I said something to the effect of, I'm not terribly interested in the wide receiver four on the Rams. And that that one just stung. My takes regressed over the summer. I think I just need to stick to only drafting in June. When I don't if you can just take your your best opinions from June, combine them with your best opinions with all other months of the summer, you uh, you've got a monster. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I think though, like hindsight, unless that uh, unless you had the knowledge of um, Cooper Cup is injured, so you're in August. Cooper Cooper Cup is injured, and then maybe you're paying a lot of attention to the idea that like oh. Stafford is really healthy this year. He doesn't have any elbow issues. Like, uh, and then you, you you picture this in your head of, of like, okay, prime Stafford, and then they have to throw to someone, and then maybe you get an idea that like, like I I think if you asked me in July if Puka Nakua would have been an eighty-five to ninety percent route share guy for the Rams, I I think that would have been quite actually quite a surprise. Um, right yeah that's no you're 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 right you know there's no matter even the person with the biggest puka bags did not think that he was going to be 85 to 90 percent route share dropping you know 25 fantasy points a game uh by the way my ocd is going to kill me but we've still got aaron's message hanging out there on the screen oh oh you're right you're right right (laughs) i forgot about i knew so i've got a i've got adhd i knew um I knew I was going to forget about it. I was like, 
don't go off the screen. And then when we flipped to the chart, I just forgot about it. That's okay. We just, we wanted to give Aaron some love there. Um, but I, it dovetailing from that message about Jake Ferguson, we'll get to the point that I wanted to make about um, why Jake Ferguson, you know, even if he did run more routes, is not going to be quite the smash that all of uh, the Jake Ferguson bag holders, myself as the, the captain of the club, wanted him to be. And that's because CeeDee Lamb is a motherfucking alpha. CeeDee Lamb is, is you, you see where he is in this quadrant. You're going to see him move up and to the right. The Cowboys game scripts these first couple games have not really required a ton of passing. And he still earned 14 targets this week. Like this guy is going to eat. This is uh, the Cowboys offense didn't change all that much from Kellen Moore departing. Um, but in the subtle ways that it did change, it became even more like what we saw from some of the older Mike McCarthy offenses where that wide receiver one just feasts the, you know, the Jordy Nelson, the Devonte Adams and CD lamb operating as the power slot in an NFL meta where it's too high safety. We refuse to give you explosive plays. Yeah. This guy's going to feast. Um, and I mean, he's right next to the guy that, you know, fits the same archetype. Amon Ross St. Brown, both, both of those players I'm very excited for this season. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty pretty much everyone in this. Uh, the, the biggest surprise to me is Michael Pittman's target earning ability. I mean, he always had been pretty heavily targeted, but uh, yeah, I, I think the first two weeks, uh, what we've seen has been much more bullish than I anticipated for Michael Pittman. So that was that was kind of surprising to me. Did you have any big surprises for you on this chart? Um, obviously we know uh, T Higgins played quite well, um, but. Seeing him uh, in the alpha portion of the of the chart, where he's like, he's like just above seventy percent weighted targets per route run, um, is um that that's a little surprising, and 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 um, because I know that like ev- everybody sort of like went into the season expecting Jamar Chase to be like the true target earner, and and he's sitting back there at fifty percent, um. And I mean, I don't expect that to uh, to hold for the full uh, season for T. Higgins to be twenty percent ahead in weight weighted targets per run. Um, but with the heavy ca- again, heavy caveat that um, you, you sort of want Burrow to be back playing healthy and, and playing well. Um, that that over a full year, if, if like you get a season where T. Higgins is like is a true one B rather than one and two. Um, I, I I think he's uh, he's really honestly a, a great pick there at the two tree turn. Um, same with Olave. I don't think that's a surprise there at all. But still noteworthy that Olave is an eighty percent weighted target per run. Like I think he was like he was t- top. I think it was two. He was Olave was second to Tyreek in weighted target per run as a rookie. So um. Interesting, at least interesting that he's sort of following that up with still strong uh, target earning ability. Um, go ahead. The uh, the biggest concern for me with Olave is I really thought the Saints might come out and just absolutely do it to the Panthers. And that game was a little disappointing. Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, maybe it's just 
one week noise, but the Saints offense was not what you really, you know, if you're a Chris Olave owner, you're, you're right. Like, you were hoping Derek Carr, prime Derek Carr, and, and, they, and they can uh, they can actually choke the ball. Yeah, but but I mean, in hindsight, looking at that two three turn, really that that whole second round, I mean, like basically the only draftable running back in the entire second round was Tony Pollard, and otherwise you should have been taking you know Chris Olave, T Higgins, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle, like all all of those were way yeah. better picks than the running backs going there. Um, yeah, Completely I uh, agree. I definitely think. Uh, Oh, another one that uh, stood out. I mean, he just, if you watch the game, he popped off the screen um, on his big breakaway play. He displayed speed that I don't think we've gotten to see from him. George Pickens. Yeah, um, that was it. That was it. I only saw the play. That was an awesome, awesome play. And we, I, I haven't seen a play from him in the NFL where we got to see him really open it up and display that speed. Holy cow. I, I want to see the miles per hour from him on that one because he was gone. When he when he saw daylight, he was absolutely out of there. And he this this is what George Pickens needed to break out is we needed target earner extraordinaire Deontay Johnson out of the way for a little bit. So they didn't have a choice but to give Pickens targets. And I think that this is the path. Like if you're gonna get the holy shit, Pickens is a league winner type outcome. This is the path you need to be on. It's not looking terribly optimistic because that offense doesn't look great. Uh, Matt Canada is not calling plays the way you would really want. I, I think what you're really hoping for is George Pickens and Kenny Pickett just develop such chemistry that the the play calls don't matter. They cease to matter. The, the two guys are just on such a level where – and Pickens is such a good wide receiver – that they're just going to produce those, those two are going to produce. Um, so I think that's a good call out. I think that's a good call out that, um, um, what's his name? What's who the other wide receiver? Sorry. Uh, Deontay. Deontay. I think that, that he was missing and, but definitely really interesting to see him in, in this high, uh, way to targets per run, um, section, because that was always the sort of knock with him was that he, he wasn't, "Quote unquote earning targets, and then he his open score and all that sort of stuff was low, and so to see him actually get up there, that that's what you're looking for for him getting these deep targets, for him to be targeted at, at a decent rate. He got nine targets last night, um, and and converted those. He had four four point two yards per route run, and, and one hundred and ten air yards. Go sorry, go ahead." You're, you're good. To add context to the data of prior to last night when Deontay Johnson was on the field in week one and then also all last season, the reason that Pickens' open score was poor, the reason that he wasn't earning targets at a high rate is by design. The offense was intentionally using him as the cardio boy, you know, clear it out. Hey, run. Right. I, I think he ran the nine route at the highest rate of any wide... I, I, I might be making this up, but I know it was very high. He might be the high. I think last season it was the highest rate of nine routes was George Pickens. And it's like, yeah, the dude is a contested catch freak. Like if we are going to throw it at him when he's running all these nine routes, that's fine. But they weren't even throwing it to him. He The, the design of the offense was George Pickens is an afterthought and, you know, occasionally we'll throw him a pass. And so just – when you have an offense being run that incompetently, we're like very clearly 
after after just one game, like, yeah, this is the guy that they probably should have been throwing the ball to over. Not not that Deontay's a bad receiver by any means, but like if you had to pick, who do you want touching the ball more? Do you want George Pickens touching the ball more? Or do you want Deontay Johnson touching the ball more? Like you want George Pickens. So when you force a bad offensive coordinator to uh, come correct with how he's running his offense and, and distributing the ball to his best players. Um, maybe that's the path you needed for Pickens. Yeah, I do think that's interesting where he played so well and then um, um, Deontay's out for a little while that maybe Pickens plays so well that Canada has to say, oh, shit. Like, I, 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 just because uh, Deontay's back doesn't mean, like, I can uh, I can I can just put Sky back to, to what it was before, and then even if he does that, Pickens is like, "What the hell? Like I just balled out. Please let me continue to do that." Like that, it definitely feels very bullish for like a Pickens upside season that he's able to put in a performance like that. Anyone else on this chart that you wanted to uh, to talk about before we move on to the next one? Um, yeah, um. And Dotson is a little disappointing there uh, with how well that Howell has played. Um, but don't want to read in too much to it. Just, we, we still only have a two-game uh, sample size. And the fact that Howell is playing decently well, um, you do hope that uh, that, that can improve. Um, but I'm, I'm that that's definitely something where I'm like, hmm, that's a bit surprising to me with how excited we were about him. Um Want to keep an eye on that? Good well, on, on on him having such a low uh, weighted targets per route run, Dotson. Um, that's. Is there anybody else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I mean, Alec Pierce, full on cardio club, like the definition yeah. of cardio club. That's a eighteenth round pick only for me. In uh, Alec know, Pierce, I, I yeah. drafting today, it's eighteenth round pick. So yeah, he's at, he's at ninety to ninety five percent route share. But he's less than ten percent weighted targets per route run, yeah, so not good. Look, he is, is is truly a clear cleared out, like just not targeted. And so off onto the the sort of second tier of charts here. Um, we now, th- these are players who are still like starters, um, but they they they're not they don't have as truly a, an elite uh, route share as the first chart. And here you, you, you'll have Tyreek Hill, who's like, is a little bit older, still elite, um, but maybe he doesn't run as much routes as, as he would have when he was younger, um, but more than makes up for that in a per route efficiency with like a, 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 a way to target spread run of above 100%. The uh, the Tyreek Hill stuff too. If you watch the games, what what actually is happening to why he's not getting a, an even higher route share is a lot of the times he's he's running a lot. He's running a lot on a play, and they need to take. It's like, whew, give me give me a breather because I think he gets really oxygen run. at every half time. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, out of necessity, like this man <laughs> is just going crazy out here. Um, some guys that were really encouraging, um, both in production and where they show up on the chart. I mean, like Mike Evans, really, really exciting. Um, if you were drafting, I, I think that it's, you know, it, it's definitely going to be a little noisy with just two weeks. Um, but Baker Mayfield is willing to throw and Mike Evans is still Mike Evans and he's still going to get a thousand yards this season. So where he was going in basketball drafts, 
looking like a strong value. Yeah, I think that uh, I think you'll see uh, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. I mean, I think they'll move their their points a little closer. Um, I think Godwin's been running a little poor, and Baker just uh, has decided that it's really fun to throw it up to Mike. Like, <laughs> who wouldn't want to throw it up to Mike Evans? Like, that sounds like a blast. I'm I'm in. Um, Maybe he right could make us look good. Yeah, right next to Mike Evans, Nico Collins, finally. I mean, we we touched on him last week, but putting together another strong week, um, the people that chased Nico Collins up the draft board are looking pretty sharp here. Um, I, I couldn't get there. I was I was too low on both Stroud and Young. And so I'm batting 500 on those rookie quarterback takes here because Stroud looks promising and this passing game for Houston as a whole looks like something that you want a part of for fantasy. Um, it's, it's like we discussed, it's those offenses that were so, so cheap that they don't even need to do anything crazy to be really great values. And Nico looks like one of those really great values. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, for sure. Um, this, other than those guys, this this chart is just starting to get pretty uh, crowded. Like you're definitely you get into these guys who are like, uh, good good great to to great players, but less of them in that like really high uh, way to target spread run. Um. Some yeah, uh, I, some I also quick... see, I see. Go ahead. Oh no no you you go ahead here. And uh, I do, uh, I do, do see Terry uh, McLaurin here, who's also um pretty low on the uh, the way the targets per run. Um, I that, that that does make me wonder if um is like is the offense like just is it sort of uh are they just not chucking it deep or like that uh, that 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 does surprise me that that bow to the deep. It was there relatively is. spread, and there was there was a little bit in uh, I want to say it was two minute where Curtis Samuel just got a bunch of stuff. It was like here's Curtis Samuel for like three plays in a row, um, and and of course the tight ends are both involved there. Um, yeah. Another another point I wanted to uh, to make here, we do see Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley coming a little closer together here. Um, Calvin Ridley still looked really there there he was doing things that were pretty spectacular and had a couple close like shoulda woulda coulda plays so mm-hmm. i'm not like i'm not calling his uh his pullback in production from week 2 like ah oh, this is what calvin ridley is but i i do think that my read on this offense is is going to be pretty spot on in that it's all of these guys are spike week players yeah they're, they're all pretty good you probably wanted to be investing through the cheapest prices so that is when Calvin Ridley was cheaper, you wanted to load up on him. When Christian Kirk was falling at the end of the draft season, you wanted to load up on him. And then Zay Jones, where he was going, you you wanted to load up on Zay Jones pretty much all throughout the draft. Um, and I actually, I wrote about this in my portfolio postmortem article that's up on Spike Week right now um, in how I thought the Jags offense should be played. And through two weeks, it does kind of look like it's starting to play out that way. Uh, the other the other quick ones that I wanted to bring up. If you've got a guy in the bottom left quadrant of this chart, they're, they're officially on like the missing persons report. So, uh, you know, like Hunter Renfro, Donovan Peoples Jones, Michael Gallup, Paris Campbell, Van Jefferson, 
uh, Allen Robinson, Kayshawn Booty, like these guys are all on the melt carton. Like it's it's not looking good. And of all of those guys that I listed, none of them have really. I haven't seen any. You know, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Not nothing right. has flashed where I'm like, oh well, I'm hopeful that he's gonna increase his weighted targets per route run next week. Like, nope these these dudes are on the melt carton, and I don't know what it's gonna take to find them. Um, the only couple that are in this quadrant where I can see some stuff, uh, you know, breaking better for them. Um, Josh Downs, I think, has pretty good chemistry with Anthony Richardson. It's not really a back or a, a wide receiver I'm super excited about because he's just, you know, slot wide receiver, low A dot, probably needs way more volume than he's going to be able to get if Anthony Richardson's quarterback. If Baker Mayfield's quarterback, you might wind up with like a, I haven't looked at DraftKings pricing, but there's definitely like a Josh Downs punt play type of type of thing I could be interested in. Um, the other ones that I'll list really quickly, Darius Slayton and Traylon Burks, both are guys where I could see them trending in a direction that's more positive on this chart. Um, just because the Giants wide receivers outside of Jalen Hyatt look pretty bad. I'm kind of bummed about uh, Hodgins. I thought I thought Hodgins showed a little bit near the end of last season where he might uh, be able to you know, earn, earn a good amount of targets in an offense with not a ton of competition. Um, but yeah, maybe you get a little more out of Slayton. I don't think so though. I think Slayton's kind of, we, we know what he is. We've seen it. Um, and then Burks, you're just hoping that this is him slowly being worked back in. Um, yeah. Kind of same, same vibe. I think he had something going on in the, um, um, in, in week two. Cause I, I, I think I saw that he didn't actually play that much in the fourth quarter of last week. Um, but there's definitely like more encouraging signs uh, for uh, for Brooks. For example, uh, last week he had 4.2 yards per route run uh, and, and he had four four targets and uh, on, on, and they only had 29 uh, dropbacks. So like there, there's like, if, if, you, if you're looking for something to be optimistic about, there's definitely something there for Brooks to be optimistic about. And, and then another point on the, like on the milk carton guys uh, that I think is worth noting is that um, this chart sort of intentionally punishes uh, guys who have low a dots. And so, um, because the weighting is, it's sort of weighted towards air yards to, to um, uh, make sure that we're weighting towards the most uh, fantasy productive sort of targets and so you can have guys who get four or five, maybe six targets, but if they're of low A dot, then um, then they can still be in the cardio club section of the chart, even though like they are they are actually getting targeted. But when you get the the um, the MVS Quez and uh, DPJ guys who are like supposed to be deep chart re- receivers, and they're still really low, then then that's like a, 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 a more like negative and um, bear sign than than the kind of like slot low ADOT guys being in, in that section. Yeah, good uh, good uh, explanation there um, because yeah, that's definitely an important distinction to make there. Um, and and then do we want to go to uh, uh, the the sort of true backup? I, yeah, I think we got to move on to number three because we're we're probably going to run over two hours here. Oh, 
you you have a uh, you have a lot of notes for uh, for the backup receiver. Oh, you just know that I'm I'm long winded. I I could I mean when it comes to Jaden Reed and Rashid Shahid, I I could talk for a while. <laughs> um, I think these guys are just you know they were already exciting week one. They continue to be exciting for for what they are week two. Um, Justin Watson started creeping in there. He had a good number of air yards. He was, he was over a hundred air yards. Correct. Um, yeah, he, he, um, uh, I mean that receiver room is like anyone's game. Um, so if you, you could end up with the late career, Justin Watson breakout for like all one of you, Justin Watson truthers out there, it, it might happen. Um, frustrating one, Mac Hollins, like, can we just get those targets to Drake London and Kyle Pitts, please? Like, what are we, what are we doing? Giving Mac Hollins so much stuff. Um, right. Another, another interesting one was Tank Dell. Um, really, uh, you know, took advantage of the opportunity with Noah Brown um, going on IR. So Tank Dell definitely interesting. Um, and we like the uh, we like the rookies who um, because their rookies are not getting big uh, route shares. But when they're on the field, they're getting heavily productive targets, um, and so encouraging for um, for the likes of Tank Dell and and Jaden Reed that perhaps they'll increase their road share as they continue to play well. Yeah, a- absolutely, good good point there. Um, one of the other rookies that I do want to point out that ends up on this chart is JSN, and he's basically dead middle. He's like average. Weighted targets yeah. per route run, average fantasy points per game. Uh, when you talk about guys that get low ADOT being punished, he's definitely being punished here for that low ADOT. He had a decent number of targets this game, um, but they were all yeah. very close to the line of scrimmage. I don't necessarily think that's going to only be his game. Um, you know, he, he definitely can operate a little deeper down the field. Um but I do just think it's going to be something where it's going to take a little while for him to come on. I did. I heard someone today say something along the lines of, Oh, well the only way JSN really gets to what you wanted him to be when you were drafting him at the price that you're drafting him at is you need an injury. You need a DK Metcalf. I really don't think that's true. I think that you're seeing the path that a lot of these rookie wide receivers follow you know, where they're going to come on slowly. They're going to earn more work. You know, you, you can see he was only a 60 to 65% route share guy. He did increase um, from week one to week two. So that's encouraging. And don't forget, like, the dude just broke his wrist a couple. He had wrist surgery, like, two and a half weeks, three weeks ago now, you know. Um, so I'm not uh, I'm not discouraged by JSN. Um, but, you know, when you do see these rookies coming out with hot starts, like, Jaden Reed and Tank Dell, um, you know, you're like, oh man, like why can't why can't JSN do that? Um, but I, I think it's still coming for JSN. Yeah, yeah, he 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 is simply too good for us to want to uh, throw in the towel. And um, important too that he he's still being targeted. Like he's uh, his uh, his um, he's still getting like he had six targets in week two, four targets week one, um. And on a lower, like sort of like snap uh, or drop back basis, like that's still still pretty uh, pretty good. And, and and so like he he hasn't he hasn't flashed the big play yet 
And but that that's sort of what we're looking for. Where like he 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 does have. I mean his his time forty time is not uh, the best. Um, but he uh, he he still does have explosive play ability, and and, and you're you're hoping to see him make some big plays that that do, do force him to uh, to play him some more. The uh, by the way, you you mentioned uh, Terry McLaurin earlier. And uh, here I mentioned Curtis Samuel. Yeah, here's here's the reason why you got you got all this Curtis Samuel stuff taken away from uh, you know Dotson and McLaurin. Um, so it is a relatively split uh, offense for right now. I don't know if you'll end up with Howell having a favorite or if it's always going to be kind of split like this. Um, but we'll and you know their tight ends involved in well as well. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out. Um, I think that as far as like for DFS and things like that, that Washington passing game is going to be really hard to pick who you want to yeah. have with, uh, with Howell. You, you probably are just better off, you know, if you're going to do a Howell play in, in a given week, probably just want to take the tight end since such a large percentage of the tight end points would, would come from touchdown. If, and if you do get that, you're probably good on your stack. You know, you probably paid off your tag. I'm assuming they're going to be pretty cheap any any week you want to play them. Um, any anyone else on this chart that you had uh, notes on? Um, no. Um, I think it's all like we're a lot. A lot of these guys are. Um, if, if you're on this chart, I don't. Unless we're seeing uh, stuff to to make us believe that you belong on on, on the. The, the last two charts, for for example, Jaden Reed, Rashid Rice, Tank Dell, and uh, hopefully in JSN soon. And uh, if you're on this chart, you, you're really sort of like uh, drawing tin to be fantasy productive. So the fact that you see uh, Rondell Moore here at only 65 to 70 percent, um, and and not a, I, I, he does have a low A dot role, so it, it does make sense that he's low in weighted targets per run, but. Low A dot role, not playing a lot, and that that he, that doesn't feel like a strong uh, a strong play. Rondell Moore doesn't seem like a strong play right now, and again Joshua Palmer, where he is he's supposed to be a deep track guy, and and so the fact that he's he's in the cardio club section, not getting not getting a, a ton of routes, and or well he's sixty five to seventy percent, so not not terrible, but far from uh, from startable yeah the last uh i wanted to make a general macro point that i wanted to remind myself of for next season um but in this cardio club we've got rondale moore as you mentioned we've got dj chark these were two players where if you use etr's best ball rankings these guys are both you're going to come in with a lot of them if you just drafted off of rankings and this is the uh, the Leone likes the projectable volume special where both these guys are like, just if you know to sniff this out next year, you'll save yourself a lot of money, like not clicking Rondale Moore way ahead of, you know, you, you're going to end up with like 15, 20% Rondale Moore, 15, 20% DJ Shark if you followed the rankings. And on the flip side, they actually nailed Jaden Reed. They were super ahead of the market on Jaden Reed the whole time. And if you followed their rankings on Jaden Reed, you probably got to like 20% Jaden Reed. Um, I, I definitely did because I was I I was high on Jaden Reed. ETR was high on Jaden Reed. Pat was high. Everyone that I trusted for rankings was high on Jaden Reed. Um, but yeah, just a note for uh, for future best ball drafting. 
if you just remind yourself that there's going to be a couple guys in the ETR rankings that are just up there because that's the person that they were most confident to project volume onto. Um, but we already know, we know what DJ shark is, you know, he's been in the league long enough. Um, and that offense was going to be bad. So just, uh, avoid those landmines, but, uh, be willing to lean into the ones like w- when they're excited about a rookie, like Jaden Reed. Yeah. Just click, click that over and over. So. Yeah. And, and, and just to, to cl- we, we both really do like the, uh, the ETR rankings. Um, but just, you, you want, you definitely want to be careful on a projectable volume for players where, you have a very good idea of what their like sort of like fantasy sort of role is and it isn't great like i i think that that's the message there like a sort 100%. of overall yeah 100 percent. yeah it was it was not meant to be a dig at the etr rankings they're one of the highest weights in my weighted aggregate rankings it was it was just uh it's been a couple years right now. and I, got- I i knew that you had no intention of doing that i just wanted to make sure yeah, yeah, it's been a couple of years in a row though, where you get the uh, gosh, who is Brashad Perriman from yeah. years past. You know, there's a couple of those are going to sneak into the rankings, and that's that's part of doing rankings. You know, you gotta yeah. gotta project out team offense, and sometimes it's just ambiguous. And they, I feel like they did a better job of it this year, where they had a lot of uh, I'll call them like ghost roles, where they just mm-hmm. had unassigned volume to guys, which that's. I think that's a really sharp way to do it when you have these ambiguous situations or an offense that might not be as good as you want to end up projecting it. Um, but yeah, there's just the point of, and this isn't just their rankings. This is the market in general um, places a lot of confidence in those kind of players where it's like, well, the volume has to go to this guy. You know, there's no, there's nowhere else for the volume to go. And so in, in the cases of DJ Chark and Rondale Moore, it's, yeah, sure. The volume could go to these guys. It's just like no volume. It doesn't matter, you know, and right. we projected the offense. Um, and sometimes in the case of like uh, uh, who's Van Jefferson, it's no, no, no. Uh, Van Jefferson, we know what he is. It's Puka and Tutu, you know. So just just having that being cognizant of right. that for drafting in the future. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, that is uh, very uh, fair. Uh, Joshua Gage, that, that there's a, or sorry, Russell Gage, that's another yep, one. That's another one. Very easy to, um, to 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 project and, and and hoist volume onto them, where you know uh, you know they're not very good. You, it and, is, and you, you, know, you know from like seeing them play a couple of years that they're not very good. It can definitely be tricky to sniff those guys out, though. You like you certainly, as a drafter, can fall into that that narrative of, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like I, Russell Gage in the 18th, like they've got to throw to someone there. Uh, you know, right. Mike Evans is going to get traded, and then it's the Russell Gage show. And it's yeah, be, but being able to sniff those guys out, I think, is a way that you can, uh, you know, those those 18th round picks, those can be really valuable. That's a Puka. That's a Kyron. That's a Tutu. That's a Justice Hill. You know, that's Josh Kelly. That's, you know, Jerome Ford at certain parts of the offseason. I'm still worried that Jaden Reed has only played in three wide receiver sets. Yeah. I mean, if you watch watched him play, he's good. Um, and so I, I think that he's going to earn his way to more playing time. Um, right. And, and that's the concerned. point of this, this chart. Is to sniff at those guys that aren't playing. Uh, that's the reason. If if, if Jaden Reed didn't exist, there would there would be little point in uh, 
in uh, in this chart and um um the fact that he is earning targets and and and, and down the field targets at, at such a consistent rate and, and succeeding with them um is um it, it it's definitely it it's a reason for them to play him more and then josh joshua had a question uh did michael wilson go missing um and I hate to inform you, Joshua, but Michael Wilson never existed in the first place. He was a ploy by Big Best Ball to see how outlandish a player they could get you to click. Um, I'm pretty sure so. um, and Michael Wilson is somebody I work with um, in commercial. <laughs> My, Michael Wilson's an accountant somewhere. <laughs> there, there's definitely there's definitely an accountant called that uh, Michael Wilson. Out there. Yeah, I mean, my, Michael Wilson might be watching this show right now. Michael Wilson might just be a fantasy player, like a, a he plays fantasy football. He's not an NFL it's player. A, a deep, a, a true deep fake. <laughs> I wasn't wasn't trying to throw shade at you, Joshua. I meant I meant the collective you, the the royal best ball drafting community. Um, not psyoped into Michael Wilson. So I think he is in here, and um, we definitely we definitely have him. Um, he just he's lost in a crowd of that. Uh, is he on the is he on the melt carton? Yeah, there he yeah. is. There he is. Seventy to seventy five percent route run, uh, between forty and sixty percent oh, yeah. targets per route run, just above five fantasy points a game. So there's uh there's your your Michael Wilson folks. There he is, in all um, his glory. So I, I guess we 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 brought the time back a little bit, and um, but didn't quite uh didn't quite I. I, I'm. I don't feel bad that um um we were. We, I I felt like we had very productive conversations and, and and hopefully useful for for people. Yeah, I mean, as long as we're putting out work that's useful to people, that's all I care about. And if we go over two hours, we go over two hours. We'll we'll try and keep it tighter. Um, but I don't ever want to, you know, just shorten the show for just the purpose of shortening it. I want to make sure we get you guys the analysis that you need to make the best decisions you can going forward. Yeah, definitely agree. And I, I think we did, we think we did a good, uh, good middle ground of like scaling back the time and, but still making sure that it was full analysis, like you said. All right. Well, I, I think with that, uh, time to, time to wrap it up and pack it in for the night. For those of you that, uh, hung with us for the whole two hours and change, we appreciate you. And, uh, yeah, this this has been stat chasing. Yeah, and uh, that's uh, that's week two of stat chasing done. Thanks for uh, listening in, folks. Yeah.